0: Revolution. Thank you for joining us on Truth Revolution. This is where faith and reason meet. This is uh, my Pastor Dave. That's Pastor Jeff. You're right there. Yeah. I just sorry blank for a second. <laughs> anyway, this is Truth Revolution. Faith and reason meet right here, and um, we really like to to kind of make them mush together. People like yeah. to separate faith and and reason. But we want to have a mashup right here, right? That's right. We believe in the truth,
1: mm-hmm. in reason. We believe that uh, things like science matters. We believe things like archaeology matter. We believe, right. though, also that faith matters. Absolutely. We can believe in the Bible. We believe in Jesus. But we don't believe this is a contradiction. They actually go together. And actually, today, we have a very special guest
0: who's going to talk a little bit about how that works. Right. Today, we welcome Dr. J.P. Moreland. He's a distinguished professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology. Biola University in La Miranda, California. La Mirada, dude. Okay. Well, uh, all right. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, he has earned four degrees, a BS in chemistry from the University of Missouri, a THM in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, an MA in philosophy from the University of California, Riverside, and a PhD in philosophy from the University of Southern California. He has co-planted three churches, spoken and debated on over 175 college campuses, and authored or co-authored 30 books. Sounds like a really, really busy life. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dr. Morian. Glad you could be with us. Well,
2: it's a joy to be here, and I'm really glad to have this chance.
1: Awesome. And, you know, we had you back on the show in 2015. It's been way too long. Uh, Glad to have you on again. I saw that you wrote a book, Scientism and Secularism. I read the description about it and thought, oh, man, that is exactly what we love to talk about here. Why don't you give us the the quick lowdown? What is the book all about?
2: Well, that's a good question. The book is uh, called Science and Secularism, Learning to Defeat a Dangerous Ideology. And the book is primarily about this. While science is a wonderful thing, scientism is a philosophy that is horribly destructive. It is basically the idea... That the only way we can know reality, or certainly a vastly superior way to know reality, is through the hard sciences. Mm. If you can prove it and test it in physics and chemistry in the hard sciences, you can know it. If you can't test it in physics or chemistry or a hard science, then it's nothing but a matter of personal opinion and emotion, and uh, no one can know anything. And uh, theology, philosophy, ethics, hmm. uh, and, uh, other branches of study.
1: Oh, that is, that is great. Okay. So people, I, I meet people like this all the time. Uh, they say things like, well, you know, I believe in science, but I don't believe in faith. And so what you're positing in the book is this, this is not just an individual person here and there. This is, this is kind of a wild scale philosophy that people hold.
2: Well, this is the major worldview in Western culture, and it has been for uh, at least two centuries. And it uh, it has secularized Europe, and it's uh, starting to secularize the United States. And remember, it's the idea that the only way we have of really knowing what's real is through the methods of physics and chemistry and the hard sciences. You know, I had a gentleman come up to me at a at a at a gathering where i was going to give a talk he had a phd in physics from johns hopkins and was an engineer and he heard that i was a philosopher and before the meeting he comes up and says hey uh, i understand that you're a philosopher and a theologian and i said well you know i give it my best shot and he said yeah i used to be interested in philosophy when i was a teenager uh, but that was before I matured and grew up as an adult intellectually. And now that I think <laughs> as an adult, I've come to realize that the only way you can know anything is if you can quantify your data and test it empirically in the lab. And if you can't do that, then it's nothing, your assertions are nothing but a bunch of hot air, idle opinion, and personal feeling. Wow. Well, that's scientism. Uh-huh. You talk to somebody, and they uh, you're talking about God's existence or Christ, or that abortion's wrong, and they'll say, well, prove it scientifically. Mm. I, if you can't prove it scientifically, then nobody can know it. So the issue today is not just whether uh, uh, some uh, religious or ethical claim is true. Uh, the more important issue is whether or not it can be known to be true, Uh and I believe that faith is actually having trust or confidence based upon what we know or have reason to believe, and so as you gentlemen so well put it at the beginning of the show, faith is not a blind step to just choosing to believe something like scientism implies, Mm -hmm. no. Faith is uh, a, a trust or confidence based upon what we know, yes. or we have good reason to believe. And that that's what your show is all about. But scientism undercuts that and has done so uh, in, in American culture, so that now in the drinking water, the vast majority of lay people really think that, boy, the scientists are what tell us about reality, and religious people tell us about just this personal idea of faith in their minds.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, you touched on something there. I'm just going to go on a mini rant for a second. Because a lot of Christians say things like, well, you know, I know there's no good reason to, but I'm going to believe this, or, you know, I don't need the evidence, I just believe. But that's not the biblical definition of faith. The biblical definition of faith is having confidence in something. And you don't gain confidence, or having confidence in what you don't see. You don't gain confidence in something that you can't see by just, Hoping for it for no reason, you gain confidence because there's evidence behind it. Absolutely, uh, but you know that's a little mini rant there. But now, so if we're if we're going to reject scientism, though, if we're going to say, okay, truth comes, and you can find truth in other areas other than the hard sciences, you know, uh, physics, whatnot, and- doesn't doesn't that mean that we're now going to be relying more on feelings? Uh, I'm sure people would be wondering that.
2: Yes. Uh, the answer to that is no, and and, and there are a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, um, there are two kinds of scientism, strong and weak. Okay. Strong scientism says the only way to know reality is through the methods of the hard sciences, and everything else is personal feeling and hot air and idle opinion. That's what that physicist uh, told me at that uh, gathering. Yeah. But after he spoke for about two or three minutes, I stopped him and said, sir, if you don't mind, I'm having a problem. Uh, maybe you could help me. Uh, you're claiming that if you can't test it and prove it in the lab in physics and chemistry, it's nothing but a bunch of hot air and idle opinion and blind faith. He said, absolutely. Well, I said, you've made 30 or 40 assertions in the last two or three minutes, and I can't think of a single one of them that could be quantified and tested in the lab (laughs) of chemistry and physics. Uh, If I'm wrong about that, would you mind uh, pointing out which one it was? But if I'm right, you see my dilemma. What that means is that what you've been doing in the last two or three minutes is spewing nothing but hot air and idle opinion. The point I was making is that strong scientism cannot possibly be true, just like the statement there are square circles in Montana cannot possibly be true, because it's logically self-refuting. It's like the sentence, no sentence of English is longer than three words. (laughs) That sentence falsifies itself. And the statement, you can only know things through the hard sciences, cannot itself be known through the hard sciences, because it's not a statement of the hard sciences. It is a philosophical statement about the hard sciences. So strong scientism is in deep trouble. Now there's another version called weak scientism. That says that, okay, we'll grant that there might be some minimal reasons to believe things in philosophy and in maybe theology and ethical claims and so on, But uh, the hard sciences are so vastly superior that if there's ever a conflict between a statement from the hard sciences and one from one of these other fields, the hard sciences win all the time. And furthermore, um, when the hard sciences move into a new area, like when neuroscience moves into psychology... We start really gaining information for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with weak scientism is twofold. Number one, uh, weak scientism uh, is no stronger than the assumptions on which it rests, and defending and clarifying and stating those assumptions is actually a task of philosophy. Mm-hmm. What that means is that philosophy is actually better knowable, better known than than science because science can't be any stronger than our knowledge of the assumptions on which it rests. Okay, yeah. Since weak scientism says that science is, is, gives a stronger knowledge than philosophy in other fields, it actually undercuts science because science needs philosophical support for its assumptions. Example, yeah, what science assumes a correspondence theory of truth that truth is what corresponds with reality. Mm -hmm. Science assumes that our cognitive faculties have been uh, designed in such a way that it can know the, the external world, but not just the external world, it can know its deep structure, and by its deep structure I mean the invisible entities and laws that stand under the observable phenomena and explain them. We assume that our minds are capable of going beyond the sensory uh, experiences. Mm. Um, We assume that mathematics and logic apply to reality. Uh, And I could go on and on. Now, every single one of these is currently being... Uh, debated and rejected by a large number of professors at the university, every, every one of them. That means that you can't just assert these any longer. You have to st- state them and defend them. So, philosophers do. And weak scientism uh, it depends on the adequacy of a philosophical defense of its assumptions if we're going to take the claims of science to be approximately true.
1: So an example, you said some of those laws that are not observable that underline the things that we do believe. Uh, an example of those would be like gravity or the weak nuclear force. Is that what you're talking about?
2: Yeah. So or just the, just bonding forces between uh, uh, electrons and neutrons, for example. Laws that govern uh, chemical change are not sense impressionable they, they lie beyond what you see in the beaker and uh, explain it
1: right because someone didn't you know put two atoms on a table and wow they were attracted to each other and I measured how long it took uh, it, that's right it, it's a little deeper than that right. you're having to make some, some uh, not necessarily assumptions but you're going to have to make some calculations that aren't based on visible uh, stimuli or the five senses yes
2: and in the in in my book Scientism and Secularism, I, I I show not only how dangerous this ideology is in undermining the things that people care most about, but I also show why weak and strong scientism are just plain silly. And I've already shown that well strong scientism is self refuting, and I've already shown that weak scientism is wrong for the first reason, namely it cannot justify its own assumptions. Mm. And I my book contains a very detailed, uh, and I think easy to read, statement of a whole host of these, and I clarify why uh, science can't, justify them. But the other thing that weak scientism gets wrong, as does strong scientism, is that there are things that we know outside of science with greater certainty than the things we know inside science. <laughs> okay, like For what? example, logic and mathematics. Mm. Logic and mathematics are what are called a priori disciplines. Uh, science is is a collection of a posteriori disciplines. Now, what in the heck does that mean? Well, in the book, I make this very clear. Logic and mathematics are not known through sense impressions. They are known by a grasp of the mind. And logic and mathematics are known through intellectual reason and intellectual intuition, and they uh, uh, amount to necessary truths. Truths that are that even God could not make false. God Himself could not make modus ponens false, which is if p then q and p, therefore q. Modus that polens. ranges throughout all possible worlds. Two and two is four is a necessary truth. But the, the truths of science are contingent truths, and and we do not know them. Uh, uh, oh, by the way, and they're known through sense impressions, and they're not known with as great a certainty as the laws of logic and mathematics on which science depends. So uh, we know science and logic in a non-scientific way. People try to claim that science uh, that uh, logic and mathematics are scientific no 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 there's assumptions of science science uses them but they yeah. can't be known through science. Another thing would be that I know my own states of consciousness mm-hmm. better than a neuroscientist does. Right. In fact if a neuroscientist is reading my brain activity on uh, an EEG uh, 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 e- equipment, Um, He has to ask the person, the patient, what is going on right now uh, while he's reading the brain meter. Mm -hmm. When they saw rapid eye movement, uh, we now know that that's indicative of dreaming. But the only way we knew that is when they saw the rapid eye movement, they had to wake the person up and say, what's going on now? Now, why did they have to do that? Because they don't have access to the, to the person's mind or consciousness, because those are non-physical. They only had access to the brain. And so other people's knowledge of what's going on inside of me is based on inference from my body movements and the sounds that come out of my mouth, mine isn't. I have absolutely direct awareness of consciousness.
1: Okay, now some people I could
2: go on and on.
1: Yeah, some people might might say, okay, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, if you, we now know that you know rapid eye movement indicates dreaming, uh, well, isn't that a hard science? Right, we did the research, we proved the theory true. That's hard science.
2: But we didn't know it was dreaming through the methods of hard science. The methods of hard science could only measure the brain activity or observe the eye movement. That's all. The only way that they could know uh, what was going on mentally is they had to ask the person. Mm. And why did they have to do that? Because there is first-person authority over one's consciousness. I know what's happening in my consciousness better than anybody else. So that part was not scientific. It was relying upon the epistemically prior knowledge of one's own mental states that they then report to another person. Right. Um, we have certain ethical claims that we know with greater certainty than scientific ones. Let me give you an example. Okay. I was in the hospital for nine days recovering from colon cancer surgery. Yeah, I read about that. I had a lot of nurses come in, and one nurse came in and said, well, tell, um, tell me, uh, uh, what, what do you do? And I said, uh, well, I, I teach philosophy. I, use, I, I did a BS in chemistry, and then I went into theology, and then I eventually got an M.A. in doctrine in philosophy. And she looked at me very puzzled. And she said, well, that's a very interesting Thing. And I said, well, let me tell you what I think you're thinking right now. <laughs> what you're thinking is that I started off in chemistry, which was a field that deals with real facts, and you can really know it, that's scientific. Yeah. And, and I moved move to theology and philosophy, which is kind of just shuffling opinions, and nobody knows anything for sure, it's just faith. And per- She said, my gosh, that's exactly what I was thinking and i said well do you know that i know torturing little babies for the fun of it with greater certainty than i know that electrons exist (laughs) she said no that's not possible and i said have you ever studied the history of the electron no well if you study the history of the electron from jj thompson's version of the electron to german chemists versions of the electron at the time he discovered the british version to Bohr's concept of the electron, to the quantum concept of the electron,
1: yeah,
2: what we discover is that the idea of what an electron in is has changed yeah. rapidly over the centuries. Oh man! Uh, what that means is that if you ask me if electrons exist, I think they do, <laughs> but there's a real possibility that in fifty years. Be- We will revise again, and we'll think that the electrons we now believe in don't exist. Wow. But I can't think of anything that we could discover in 50 years that would make it rational to start torturing babies for the fun of it.
1: Exactly. That is so good. So, I mean, listeners, just think about this for a minute, okay? We actually can know with better certainty that torturing babies is evil. And we can know that with more certainty than we can know... Whether or not the electrons, as we know it, exists, right?
2: Exactly. That is. And by the way, in my book, I make clear that a lot of times, to- sometimes you can know something without knowing how you know it. Mm-hmm. So I know tort- A person could know that uh, a torturing a little baby for the fun of it uh, is wrong without knowing how they know it. They mm-hmm. say, "I just do," uh, and that's. perfect. Uh, legitimate because if you always have to know how you know something that leads to a vicious infinite regress mm. so in my book I, I i address all the things we can know uh with uh that are independent of science and with great certainty and then um there is one other topic i'd like to mention if you don't mind that i think is helpful if we have time yeah go for it um well um I don't believe in the general theory of evolution. I think that intelligent design is more reasonable than the general theory of evolution. Mm -hmm. But what I'm doing is I'm going against the overwhelming majority of experts in these fields now I don't do that in most other areas if the majority of cancer doctors say you ought to do this treatment and only two percent say get that one I'm going with a majority And the same with investors and real estate agents and so on so you almost always go with the majority but yet I don't do that when it comes to evolution Mm. now am I being reasonable yes and here's why in the book I give uh, criteria for when it's rational to go against the majority. Mm. And number one, you can explain the majority opinion not based on the rational evidence for the opinion, but on the basis of sociological and theological reasons. And when it comes to evolution, um... The great the best book on this was Neil Gillespie's book Charles Darwin and the Problem of Creation. He's not a Christian. It was published with the University of Chicago Press. Okay. He said the primary reason evolution won was not the evidence. In fact the evidence was on the creationist side. Hmm. He said the reason that it, evolution won it was because it was anti-theological. It got theology out of science. And they didn't want theologians to be integrating with science. They wanted science to be a purely methodological naturalist enterprise. Um, We also know from sociological studies that young science majors sociologized into the fields of science in such a way that there is institutionalized punishments and shaming and rejection If you go against the majority paradigm. So if you, I I had a student doing a doctorate at UCLA. He had a testable dissertation project between intelligent design and naturalistic evolution. And his supervisor said, I will not tolerate a dissertation proposal like this. And he said, you will lose your doctoral stipend if you try this, do not do it. <laughs> well, that means that we have, uh, that we have a reason why every, all the experts believe in evolution. Namely, they wanted to get rid of theology, and they've been socialized to not break with the pack. Yeah. The second reason it's reasonable to go against the majority is if there is a small, robust group of highly trained intellectuals, Charles Darwin called... Uh, uh, um, uh, Thomas Kuhn called them... Uh, a rebel group that stood outside the main paradigm. Uh, so you have a group of highly qualified intellectuals with earned doctorates, they've published in the standard journals and in and, and book, uh, Oxford Press and so on, who have provided a strong paradigm that runs against the major paradigm. And wow. when it comes to evolution, the intelligent design movement is filled with highly, all you have to do is look at, the, at their credentials, and you might disagree with them, but you certainly can't fight against their credentials. So in my book, Scientism and Secularism, I show that for these and a couple of other reasons, it's absolutely rational to go against the majority in the case of evolution when it might not be with oncology and a certain cancer treatment.
1: Wow, that's great. All right, we're going to do a Bible contradiction and then come right back to this information.
0: Bible Contradiction. All right, today's Bible contradiction. Is God warlike or is he peaceful? It's a bona fide contradiction here. Exodus 15.3 right. says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. However, Romans fifteen thirty three says, "The God of peace be with you all." Amen. Yeah. So, which one is he?
1: Is mm-hmm. he a God of war? Or is
0: he a God of peace? Right.
1: You know, uh, places like infidels.org, uh, You know, the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Right. They love to throw these out there. We collect these from those sites and answer them because these are actual accusations. Uh, but this is this is actually one of the more simple contradictions they've mm-hmm. they've brought uh, brought us. Uh, the all and we use a cracked acronym. The A stands for author's intention. Right. Uh, All you have to do is, what is the author intending on communicating here? And in Romans 15, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, right? He's talking about, hey, this is how I want you to be. I want you to experience the love of God. I want you to live according to the love of God. But in Exodus 15, they're talking there about how God saved Israel from an enemy who is putting them into slavery and I think most modern people would say yeah being put into slavery is a pretty bad deal God should rescue people from that so is God a warrior yes when it's appropriate Mm -hmm. is God peace like yes when it's inappropriate God is both it's not a contradiction hey uh, Dr. Moreland is there anything else you might want to add to that
2: uh, not a single thing. That was one great answer. Right, uh,
1: <laughs> all right, thanks. I mean, some sometimes it, it frustrates me because they have they they put out these as though they're contradictions, and it really doesn't take uh, too long of thinking to to understand how it's right, not a, not absolutely. a problem. So, all right, thanks. Right, that's back Yeah, so that's the answer for our contradiction today.
0: Bible contradiction.
1: All right, Dr. Morland, we're back. Uh, we have a, a few more minutes. Uh, I want to ask a little bit about math because a lot of people would say, no, no, you're wrong there. Math is definitely a hard science. Why don't you explain why it's not?
2: Well, um, I, I go in my book, Scientism and Secularism, I really go into this in some detail as to why math is not a hard science. But a hard science is um, a, a, an approach to a subject matter that, number one, involves sense experience in t- testing whether your theory is true or false. So, it the sense experience plays a cognitive role. Mm. Secondly, it it discovers truths that are contingent truths. That means they may be true, but they did they don't have to be. It's very easy to conceive of a world where there might have been a different law of gravity or different uh, laws of chemical change. So they discover contingent truths, and um, their, their methods are th- uh, theory postulation and testing the, the theory against uh, a data. Uh, that they gather from the uh, empirical world. Now, mathematicians don't do anything. They sit in their chairs. (laughs) Uh, They don't go out looking at birds and studying them or cutting cutting frogs open to see what's going on inside. Uh, They just sit around. Uh, And their methods are... A priori—that means that while a little child may not be able to uh, have the concept of the number two or addition until they've seen scribblings on a sheet of paper, um, when when you make a proof in mathematics, uh, you don't appeal to sense experience to draw your conclusion. If you do a proof you are able to simply rationally grasp that the conclusion follows from the premises yeah. that's called rational intuition and it's not based on sense experience mm. so it is purely math and logic are purely approached through the powers of the mind without using senses to justify mathematical laws and logical laws Wow. Secondly, when mathematicians and logicians do their job correctly, they end up with necessary truths. These are truths that could not possibly be false, yes. and um, you can't have a sense experience of necessity.
1: Mm. Uh,
2: if I knew every empirical fact about the world, the universe, uh, say out of God's eye view of the universe and I knew every single empirical fact about the universe. What would follow is I would know what is the case, but I would not know what had to be the case okay, I'm gonna or have what to, could not be the case.
1: I'm going to have to jump what? in and, and cut you off there. we only got about 10 seconds left, but uh, if anyone wants this book, Scientism and Secularism, it comes out September 30th. They can get it on Amazon. Right,
0: we'll link to it.
1: All sorts of other places. Hey, thanks for being a guest today. This was amazing. It's been great. All right. This is, again, this is Dr. J.P. Moreland, Scientism and Secularism. If we have more time, we
0: go into other things we can prove without science.